everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we started in 2020 with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, uh, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And there's no bigger idea, in our opinion, uh, in the investment management world today than the idea of ESG investing, uh, which can take on many forms. But our guest today is going to talk in depth about concrete steps that we can take to measure and implement uh, both social and environmental uh, friendly investing and business operations as well. And our guest is Sir Ronald Cohen. Uh, he's a pioneering philanthropist, venture capitalist, private equity investor, and social innovator. He serves today as the chairman of the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment, which is the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative at Harvard Business School, and the Portland Trust. Uh, he is a co-founder and the former executive chairman of Apex Partners Worldwide, which is a global private equity firm. He's also a co-founder of Social Finance UK, USA, and Israel and co-founder uh, and chair of Bridges Fund Management, and the former co-founding chair of Big Society Capital. Uh, Ronnie was born in Egypt, but left as a refugee at the age of 11 when his family came to the UK. Today, he's based in Tel Aviv, London, and New York. He's also the author of a fantastic book called Impact, Reshaping Capitalism to Drive Real Change, which was published in 2020 by Penguin Random House, and it's also a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner at Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony's also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Well, uh, Ron, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, I know John's got a series of questions for you as well. I'm going to start with something that uh, troubles me philosophically, and maybe you can help me through it. Uh, and it's related to the government and the private sector recognizing that there is a problem, and yet for some reason we are not coordinated as a group to solve the problem. And so how can we tap the financial markets to harness innovation and steer social change, which is the premise of what you're writing about? So Anthony, it would be a great pleasure to be here with you. And uh, John, you come from uh, the financial business and you understand it deeply. The financial capital markets have already uh, cottoned on that the world is changing. Uh, we have uh, 40 to $70 trillion of environmental, social and governance uh, capital that's flowing to achieve more than just profit. We've never had that before in, in history. We're talking of something that's equivalent to half or more of all professionally managed assets in the world. And it is this flow of capital which was spurred into action by the changing preferences of consumers and, and talent who no longer wanted to buy the products of companies that are polluting or, 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 or to work for them, that got investors to shape investment flows and put pressure now on governments through their regulators 
to bring transparency to the impacts that investments create. So that is how the link between government and the private markets is going to happen. I, I, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I feel somewhat pessimistic about all of this because we all know what the problems are, and yet I, I, we don't see that linkage. So, so where is the catalyst for that? Okay, so the catalyst is coming uh, from the valuations that are being placed on stock exchanges. Um, if you look at the Harvard data that I, I've been in, involved in putting together at the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative at Harvard Business School, you can already see, Anthony, a correlation between higher levels of pollution and lower stock market values within several sectors. So investors are shunning the companies that are creating big environmental issues today. And that is what is driving this change. That's why you're seeing companies now beginning to take this whole issue of impact uh, seriously. So, so tell somebody that's not familiar with the term common impact accounting uh, and those reporting standards, uh, uh, tell, tell them or tell all of us uh, what they are. Okay, so we, we've all assumed uh, that we can measure uh, very little in the environmental or social area, uh, and that we can't measure impacts in the way that we measure profit. The world's changed, Anthony. That was true a decade ago, but it's no longer true. With the massive data that is available now, that companies have made public about their carbon emissions, their water usage, their employment practices. And with the ability of computing to gather and sort through this data, we can now take the tons of carbon that uh, a company puts into the atmosphere as a result of its operations. And we can see on the Harvard Business School side, 3,000 companies' environmental impact. For the first time, you can see that 450 of these companies create more environmental damage than profit, that the 1,000 of them create environmental damage equivalent to a quarter of their profit, that together they create $4 trillion worth of environmental damage in a single year. Right, And this is putting a completely different perspective on making investment decisions, because if the level of damage is going to affect the stock market valuation of the company, then management's going to want to deal with it. And what is also a major breakthrough, Anthony, in answering your question, is our ability to measure the employment impact of companies. We will soon be publishing 2,000 companies' employment impact in dollar terms. You'll be able to look at the cost of diversity to the excluded communities. You'll be able to look at Apple's um, wage bill of $7 billion and say there's a $2.7 billion negative charge because of lack of diversity. 
And if you compare it with Costco, why Costco employs twice as many people, 160,000, but only has a billion dollar negative charge. So when you then add to that product impact, and you can measure the sugar content of a product, and you can quantify the impact on health, because there's a lot of science about it, and express it in, in dollar terms, or you can measure the fiber content, and you can put the positive value that that has in terms of health, you can begin to see that there's a whole form of impact accounting now, which is going to be based on impact accounting principles like the gap accounting that uh, we're all used to in financial markets. And these numbers are going to be audited like um, financial numbers. Okay, I mean, it's very, it's very helpful and it's also very encouraging. I, I have millennial children and my very popular co-anchor here, John Dorsey, happens to be a millennial. And some people pick on the millennials. They talk down to them, but not, not me. I actually think that these are some of the brightest people. And I think this is a very encouraging generation. And what influence do you think they're going to have in terms of allocating capital, the transparency issue that you talk about, impact transparency, where we can see what companies are doing? How do you think the younger people and the millennials in particular are going to drive change or create more impact? So like the tech revolution, the impact revolution was started by millennials and then Gen Z that follows them. So they were the ones who I have some of those too, Ronnie. I have a couple of Gen Zers as kids too. You know, I got a whole whole collection. Well, people don't realize that millennials and Gen Z today represent 60%, 60% of the US workforce. This is no longer the, you know, the minority view, the views of, of, of millennials. And they're the ones who stop buying certain products from certain companies. And they're also the ones who are going to inherit a ton of money, which uh, was made by, by their parents. And they are beginning to influence the investment market, having influenced the market for, for, you know, for products. And so I think the values of this generation is one of the three major forces that are transforming our world for the better. You, you, you've been working on this a long time, um, and you've seen a lot of things over the course of your career, and it's impossible to predict the future, but I want you to make a case for 2031. It's 10 years from now in our civilization. What does it look like, sir? So we're going to find that if we're shopping, we're going to be using an app, which gives us the environmental and social impact of the product we are buying and the company that uh, brought it to our shelves. If we're sitting in the boardroom, we're going to be managing our business according to the profit we make and the impact that we deliver. We're going to realize that if we're delivering negative impact and negative um, uh, uh, profit, we're done for. But if we're delivering profit, and negative impact, we're going to be done for too, because investors aren't going to buy our shares. 
And so I believe that this force of changing values, the force of technology that enables us to deliver impact through artificial intelligence, machine learning, augmented reality, the genome, and computing coming together, and finally, the force of impact transparency through technology and big data, those forces are going to shift our whole economies, Anthony, from creating problems that governments then try to solve by taxing everyone, to bringing business to deliver solutions as it delivers profits. When, when, uh, when you think about ESG, and, and the focus effectively is on eliminating harmful outcomes. Um, what would it mean to you to actively focus on creating good outcomes? So we have two things going on at once. How do you create Excellent. the second? Excellent question. The answer is impact transparency. If governments, through their regulators, because they want every investor to get the same price sensitive information at the same time on a comparable basis, mandate that every company starting three years from now must publish impact weighted financial accounts, which are audited like financial accounts are. It will enable investors to distinguish between those that are minimizing the harm they do and those that are bringing solutions to the big problems we face. And the money at the end of the day is going to go to those who know how to deliver the maximum profit and impact at the same time, positive impact at the same time. Um, let's talk about global conflict for a second. We've got uh, hotspots still in the world, in the Middle East, parts of Africa, um, and there's also major pockets of poverty still in our societies. How can we solve those intractable issues, um, which would include the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but also extremism that we find in Africa? I mean, it's, it's a very big question, and every conflict obviously is different in kind. But if you look at the Irish conflict, it gives you the beginning of an answer for conflicts like the Israeli-Palestinian one and, and many others. The solution that brought Ireland to the Good Friday Agreement involved cutting the flow of money to the terrorist in inverted commas from the other side's point of view, terrorist organizations, so that they no longer had the supply of arms. It also involved a rising economic tide because of Ireland's entry into the European Union, which made the Northern Irish look less suspiciously at the Southern Irish. All of a sudden, they were prospering. There was an economic interest in cooperation. There was less fear that they were trying to grab what you've got. And so I think the simple answer to your question is, we have to work on three dimensions of every conflict, not just the political one and the security one, but the economic one too. 
we're, we're starting to see more technology and the impetus to remove carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, that's happening. Um, how promising is the recent innovations addressing climate change? Uh, and are we seeing a willingness for energy companies to focus on these issues? Two very important questions. We're certainly seeing a huge amount of money going into clean fuel technologies or uh, carbon absorption technologies. And the pace of technological innovation is accelerating all the time. So our ability to bring solutions is vastly greater than it was three decades ago uh, when the, the tech revolution was getting underway. But what is going to drive the push for technology is the pressure on incumbents today to shift their models. For instance, look at fossil fuels. If you look at the Harvard Business School data, you can see that ExxonMobil delivers $39 billion of environmental damage in a year from its operations, its environmental footprint, as it's called. You compare it with Shell, the figure's 23 billion a year. You compare it with BP, it's 14 billion a year. So you already see leaders and laggards within the same sector. And so at the same time as ExxonMobil's share price falls by two thirds in three years, you look across the way at Tesla, which is trying to shift us away from pollution through electric vehicles, and its share price multiplies seven times in a single year. So the power of financial markets today to drive technological advance, both by the incumbents and through the venture capital industry and entrepreneurship, is going to be what's going to bring this second disruption, this impact disruption this time, uh, aided by, uh, by technology to change the business models of many industries in the way that Tesla has changed the business model of the automobile industry. This is an impossible question, but this would be my last one before I turn it over to John Darcy, who has a series of questions as well. Uh, and it's about the unicorns of the future. Uh, wh what, what are we going to see as investors uh, in terms of emerging technologies related to impact investing, is there a Uber, a Google, a SpaceX out there uh, that's in the process of being formulated today that we need to be aware of or keep our eyes on? That there, there definitely are. You know, my definition of uh, an impact unicorn in my book is a venture that's worth a billion dollars and improves the lives of a billion people. And I think that's what the millennial and Gen Z um, uh, generations are looking for, uh, whether they're working for a big business or whether they are entrepreneurs. You look at fields like education today. Our ability to educate people by digital means, enables us in essence to give some people a free education that they pay for out of their earnings when they've got into their job after they've been educated. There are gonna be models like that 
There already are some startups like that that have got going, and they're arising, by the way, everywhere across the world. They're going to revolutionize our approach to education. Telehealth, I don't need to tell you how telehealth has grown under the impact of COVID. Um, we're going to see remote diagnosis. We're going to see remote treatment. We're going to see new technologies come in um, to give us much faster testing. We've learned our lesson with testing through COVID, our difficulty in getting testing going fast enough. Um, uh, it, it's something we can't afford to do when there's another uh, epidemic. So we're going to begin to see giant opportunities in many sectors coming from this delivery of risk return and impact. John Dorsey, what do you got to say? You, you asked a lot of great questions, Anthony, but I, I have a couple follow-ups. Uh, Sir Ronnie, if you don't mind, you talked about hey, Exxon. Sir Ron, if he asks a good question, I don't want you to say good question, though, okay? I want you to just stay. I had the good questions. Okay, go ahead, Dorsey. <laughs> okay. You talked about Exxon, uh, Sarani, which I think is a fascinating case where engine one, um, engine number one, it's a small hedge fund that we have a relationship with and, and we're looking forward to welcoming on Assault Talk soon. They won a proxy fight uh, with, with a very modest amount of resources with Exxon uh, trying to drive you know more urgency around their climate issues. Do you think you'll see more uh, activism and more pressure put on these energy companies from whether it's hedge funds or government entities or things like that to accelerate what they're doing in terms of carbon capture and, and uh, limiting their environmental impact? Undoubtedly, John, undoubtedly. Um, conversations I've been having suggest that already 200 motions have been tabled on both environmental and social issues um, for shareholder meetings coming up. Um, activist funds are getting going, but they're not doing it alone. In the Exxon Mobil case, BlackRock came in alongside Engine One, as you well know. And so it is part of the pressure that is being exercised by investors today that is transforming itself into this open impact revolution that I write about. Right. And you talk a lot in your books and in your commentary about how the idea of profit and impact are not mutually exclusive, that actually investing in impact drives returns. What are some concrete ways, and you talk about this in your book in a very, I think, lucid way, what are ways that with a business, whether it's a manufacturing business or a services business, what are ways specifically that investing for impact actually does drive enhanced productivity and enhanced efficiency within the business? So I gave you an example in the area of education. If you have a model where you're enabling people in remote corners of the world to get qualifications as coders or uh, uh, other vocational um, uh, areas or even university degrees, and they're only paying for it afterwards, and you make a profit out of that, the more impact you deliver, the more profit you deliver. If you look at fintech platforms that uh, begin to assess the credit worthiness of a potential borrower for a consumer loan on the basis of their usage of their firm, uh, instead of 
looking at their bank account because they don't have one. Uh, the more credit you deliver, the more profit you will make. If you look at pharmaceutical companies, um, it's great to have a breakthrough cancer treatment, uh, but if it costs $300,000 a year to administer, how many people can afford it? And so you, you have invested in a company which has a cancer treatment that costs $20,000 or less. Um, and so I think what's going to become the rule, John, is these great impact business models are going to involve distributing products very widely at lower prices to help more vulnerable populations. And it gives you a bigger market and potentially a bigger profit than if you stay at the premium high-priced end of the market with a very narrow client base. Right. And let's talk about COVID-19 for a second. So you know, we've seen a short-term impact on uh, emissions, for example, because of reduced business travel, reduced commuting into offices and things like that. Do you think there's going to be a long-term benefit uh, or impact from COVID-19 in terms of emissions that we can sort of build off of as we sort of remake uh, the way we operate business and operate our societies? I, I certainly think that COVID has shaken up a lot of our beliefs and habits, John. And while we go back to some of them, we're not going to go back to others, or at least not in the same extent. And the question that you ask about travel is a very important one. Here we are having a perfectly um, intelligible <laughs> interview to thousands of people, or could be hundreds of thousands of people, and neither of us has had to jump on a plane uh, in order for us to have this, this conversation. We're going to see that replicated. But I think COVID is going to have a much deeper effect too. It somehow strengthened the feeling that we're all in the same boat. We can't lick this COVID crisis by just looking at ourselves and our neighborhoods, nor at our cities only, nor at our countries now, or even our continents. And I think that feeling of greater solidarity connects with the millennial and Gen Z um, uh, values that we were talking about. And so I think COVID will have strengthened hugely the attraction of impact investing and will hopefully bring our governments, whether it be the um, US uh, Biden administration or the EU or the British government to realize that impact transparency is now a human right. We all have the right to know not just what profit companies are making, but what good and what harm they're creating. And governments owe it to us to provide this transparency because investors, apart from any, anything else, investors are demanding it and they're not getting it today. Well, we're gonna leave it right there on a positive note uh, that we can turn this you know, unfortunate situation with all the, the suffering and death that we've experienced around the world from COVID and try to turn it into a positive and, and come together to solve some of these intractable issues uh, that you write so eloquently about in your books, Sir Ronnie, uh, and in all of your commentary. Keep up the good fight. 
Uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. And hopefully we get to see you in person. It's great to see you on Zoom, but we'd love to see you in person soon. Likewise. Thank you very much, uh, John and Anthony, of course. Thank hey, you. Thank, you, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's SALT Talk with the great Sir Ronald Cohen. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this SALT Talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, you can access them on our website on demand at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called SALT Tube. Please also follow us on social media. We're most active on Twitter at SALT Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks. But on behalf of Anthony and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.